Welcome to the Retire While You Work podcast here in Nashville, Tennessee. We believe the concept of retirement in this country is fundamentally broken. We work ourselves to death and we miss out on so many of life's precious moments. I'm David Adams. I'm Carson Odom. I'm Miles Zuger. And together, as a team of certified financial planner professionals and CPAs, we're committed to helping free others from this antiquated mindset, using our three-bucket approach to managing money and finding creative ways to live now and retire while you work. Join us as we discuss a variety of financial topics and ways to help us change the way we think about time and money and which one of these is the true currency. Hey, welcome back to the Retire While You Work podcast. Uh, This is Miles, I'm here with Carson, and today we wanna talk a little bit about saving for big purchases. I mean, I think for most people, that biggest purchase, um, at least that first big purchase that people make is probably a mortgage or a house, Um, but then there's other things that people are always saving for, whether it be something for the kids, a car, school. Um, There's a ton of different things out there that require a lot of capital on the front end to get going in. And so we just want to talk about some different ways to save for those goals, what that looks like, some different strategies that we use with our clients here. And so, um, we hope yeah, you all, I think, um, I think with anything it's, there's not really a minimum or a maximum dollar amount when it comes to saving for future purchases and kind of the sinking fund approach, which we'll talk about. You could whittle this down all the way to saving for Christmas each year or you could go all the way to um, saving for a home or a car you wanna buy in a few years or whatever the case may be, like you mentioned, education. I feel like um, the principles we're about to talk about can really apply to anything. Yeah, and I mean, depending on if you, whether your kids go to public school or private school, that, ex- that school expense can be big every year. And sometimes when people send their kids to school, they actually get a discount because college is cheaper than the private school they were paying for. So yep, yeah, right. I mean, this can be, an annual discussion or it can be one of those like a house where it's more of an outlier maybe it's the last house you're ever buying and um you're using a little bit of equity from your current home and some cash you have in the bank or it could be your first home and you're putting a little less down on it but um again this is just here to provide some framework for these bigger purchases so i think the first thing is always identifying what that purchase or goal might be whether it's the house or school and the timing of it is it going to happen in the next six months, one year, two years, three years, five years plus, identifying that time frame around it so that you know how long you have to save for it because that's gonna affect whether you keep that money in cash, maybe utilize bonds, maybe utilize stocks to, um, if it's a longer term purchase you're looking for. So that first step is really identifying what the purchase goal is and the timing of it. Yep, and that that hits right in line with the three buckets. We talk about the three buckets all the time. Bucket one being short-term reserves as your emergency fund or purchases you're gonna make in the extremely short time horizon. Bucket three being retirement money, money you can't touch until you're 59 and a half years old. That's, you know, for those that are younger, that's long-term. And then bucket two is everything in between. So stuff that you're gonna be saving for that's not happening in the next six to 12 months or even up to 24 months and your savings that can't necessarily go into a retirement account. That's everything in between with bucket two. So whenever we're talking about this duration of if you're planning to, and this is, again, like we said, there's a gazillion examples that we could go through, but let's say, for example, 
and you have a car, it's going to last you a while. And I don't know, let's call it five years. For example, you want to save money for your next vehicle purchase. And the question is, especially with interest rates today, you could save that money in a bank account. However, your yields probably less than 1%. So yes, it's safe and you have access to it. However, you're not going to be making any money. And is miles, I guess I'll put this in your court is five years a long enough time horizon to risk your money in an effort to get some decent return. Yeah, I think, um, I, I think it is as long as you're willing to know that there's some risk there. I mean, if you look back historically over the market, the last 100 years, you know, typically about one out of every, uh, four years, the market has a down year and about three out of every four years, the market has an up year. So about 75% of the time. And then about every 10, 10 years or so, there's some sort of correction, kind of like what we're seeing right now, call it 15, 20, 25%. And that's on a calendar year basis. Everything in between, on average, the market has a drawdown of 14% every single year. That doesn't mean it's going to end down, but it's just goes to show markets everywhere. Yep. Yeah. yeah I mean, the, there is corrections are a normal part of the market. I mean, you never want to see an account down, but you know, if you look at the S&P 500, it's been up for the last three years. And I think if you look all the way back to 2008, it's maybe had one or only one or two down years with one of those being as far back as 2009 and the other one, I think in 2018. And so, you know, it's been a really good run in the market and we're going to see corrections are a normal part of investing, but as long as you're comfortable taking on that risk, a five-year time period for the most part is probably a, a good, a good time frame to be utilizing stocks to invest some there. Now, if you're talking one to two year periods, what do you typically recommend Carson to clients that are, you know, have maybe a one to two year time frame on big purchases? Yep. One to two years. That's when, and I think that's where a lot of people can say if, you know, in short term purchases, that's the biggest question of, you know, I want to save some money, but my money market at my bank account, maybe is not paying a lot. How do I get some decent rate of return? And honestly, in the current environment we're in, there's just not a lot out there. If you're saving for anything inside of 12 months, I think our recommendation would almost always be to take zero risk with it, especially, I mean, yes, anything inside of 12 months, there's no reason to take risk because there's no investment out there that can guarantee you a high rate of return and safety of your principal. And I think you could even argue probably as high as two years on that, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, for sure. Um, and it also depends on the severity of the purchase. For example, if you're saving your tax money each year, there is no reason to take risk with your tax money. I mean, that is without a doubt, April 15th, every single year, you owe the government money and there's no reason to take risk throughout the year with that. Put it in a savings account, even if it's not paying a lot, it's the government, so you're gonna owe it to them. Don't take risk with that money because what is the risk? The risk is you put this money in the stock market. Let's say we have a huge crash. All of a sudden, for example, the 10 grand yield to government's worth $7,000. And you've got to come up with the tax money because no matter what the stock market's doing, the government still expects their money. So that is the risk involved. As you save money, it goes down in value and you need it. So anything one to two years, not worth taking a risk. Um, and it's just saving in a bank account. Yeah, and I think that kind of leads us into you know identifying not only the purchase that you're going to make, but if you take into inflation and what things may cost in 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 the future, you also need to account for what what that amount is that you're going to need in future dollars. So something that cost ten thousand dollars today may cost you know twelve thousand dollars in in two to five years, depending on what inflation looks like around around the the, the time period we're talking about. So you also need to account for that, um, and so that also take you know 
again, but still, maybe if you're saving for a purchase in one to two years and it's going to cost 500 extra dollars and you're, you know, trying to save that in the next 12 months, you just need to account for that and know at some point you need to save a little extra money because like Carson said, that money that you put into the market could be the worst timing. You know, if you look back and you're, $10,000 that you would have had is now $8,000 or something like that. So you also want to take into account future dollars, but not let that totally run your decision-making as a whole. Yep. Um, so that's, that's kind of on bigger purchases. I think there's also an essence of this on smaller purchases, purchases, because I think in America these days and maybe just the entirety of the world, we're so used to the use of credit and debt where in essence, if we want something, and I mean, you can go buy it and put it on a credit card almost instantly. I mean, credit card limits, you can easily have a ten or $20,000 credit limit credit card, if not substantially more than that. And if you want a big item, you can put on your credit card. Heck, you could buy a Tesla. You can put your initial purchase to reserve a Tesla with a credit card. I mean, it's insane how easy it is to get forms of credit. Um, but on the other end of that, someone's winning by using a form of credit if you don't pay off your statement each month. So I think a, an alternate approach is called the sinking fund approach. So for example, instead of, you know, if in small terms, Christmas each year, so a lot of people are like, wow, I can't believe it's Christmas already. Never expected that. Well, if when it comes to saving for Christmas, you could go through each and every year, December, you rack up all your purchases on a credit card, then you work on paying them off over the next 12 months, you know, paying interest to do that. Or there's the opposite way of saving called the sinking fund approach, meaning you save money over the prior 12 months to the Christmas you're leading up to saving for. And if you save a hundred bucks a month into a savings account, all of a sudden you've got a, by December, you've got a savings account with 1200 bucks that you can pull out and use cash to make all of those Christmas purchases and not have to go in debt to do it. Yeah, I think, I mean, some people may refer to that as the reverse budget also where yeah. where you're building that in. And the easiest thing to do around this is to automate those contributions. So if your goal is to save, you know, if we're talking, you're saving for a house and your goal, or, or even Christmas, like Carson said, if you're trying to save 500 bucks a month or 200 bucks a month, automating that. So maybe you open up an, a, a second savings account or a second checking account where automatically that money is, is going from your main checking your savings over into that second checking account so that, you know, you, you don't even think of it. You don't even have to manually move that money over. It's just happening. And you may look back six months down the road and realize you didn't even miss that couple hundred bucks that was um, going over there. And which is what we commonly find when with clients we work with, we'll see where we'll automate some contributions for them and they don't even necessarily miss that money. But had we not automated those contributions, they would have never thought about making that contribution or, or moving that money over because they would have just seen the cash there and maybe they would have went out and went to dinner one extra time that month or spent it on something without even thinking twice about it just because that cash was there. That's right. Um, and you can apply it to anything. Let's say for example, you buy a new car, you're potentially set up for the next five years, it seems odd, but honestly, go ahead and start saving for your next car through the reverse budget. I mean, if um, if you save however much you wanted to spend over a car in five years, but if, if you save a thousand bucks a month in five years, you'll have $60,000 saved up to go pay cash for your next new car. And um, that way you don't have to have a car payment, any form of debt, um, that's a lot to save each month and for a new car, but it applies to any situation, a car, saving for a rental property, down payment on a house, anything, uh, it can apply to anything. Um, and that's how we recommend for saving for retirement, saving for long-term is also dollar cost averaging. So it's buying into the market, 
constantly. Um, yeah, each month, whether the market's up, whether the market's down, you're just you know putting in whatever you're able to. It's 50, 100 bucks, 500, 1,000, making some sort of contribution. So when the market's up, you're buying fewer shares of the of stocks or bonds or whatever that mix looks like. And if the market's down, you're buying more shares of that because they're at a lower price and on sale a little bit. So, I mean, if you look back, dollar, dollar cost averaging has been one of the kind of the time tested investment principles and that it's automated. And you look back 30 years down the road and you know, you've put in 50 or a hundred thousand dollars and that has grown significantly based on what the market's done. So, yep. you know, whether it's, saving for something or investing dollar cost averaging is a great strategy. Yeah. Um, another good point is let's say for example, in the middle of your saving, you get a raise, your household gets a raise and all of a sudden you've got an extra thousand dollars a month that you have something to do with a couple different routes. One, you don't assign that extra thousand dollars to anything. And then before you know it, your cost of living cost of living has risen and you're sitting here wondering where did that thousand dollars go? All of a sudden I raised my grocery budget, my clothing budget a little bit and it's gone. It's as if you didn't get a raise because your lifestyle crept up or immediately it's throw that thousand bucks into a savings account and it may not even have a label on it yet. You may just be saving that money because you know over the short term you're going to have a big purchase or there's a few things floating around and even though you haven't identified with it, the best thing you can do when you get a raise is go ahead and automate increased savings contributions. Bump up your 401k a percent or bump up your savings into a brokerage account that you're doing just a little bit, into your 529s a little bit. There's so many ways where you can capture that raise and save a majority of it. Or the other option, like I mentioned earlier, was lifestyle creep is yep. you increase your lifestyle. Or it's a combination all the or above. Maybe you, you know, there's some subscription you wanted to been doing that's a little bit of lifestyle creep. So you and it's a hundred bucks and you just got a thousand dollar a month raise. Maybe you take that on at this point, but know also that, you know, you're going to look at your financial picture as it sits right now. And maybe you have a car loan. And so you start putting a little extra money towards that each month to pay that down a little bit faster. And then I think the last part of everything is making sure that you have a good emergency fund in place. Um, I mean, that's just one of the, the best financial pieces of advice that we can give. So Carson, if you want to hit on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we talk about it all the time where a standard rule of thumb is three to six months worth of living expenses in a bank account that you can access that's taking zero risk, just earning a little bit of interest each month. That way, if an emergency does happen where you're, you temporarily have a job that goes away or you have a big repair on your house or a big repair on a car that you don't have to derail all these different savings buckets that you've been working hard to build up, but you can, use your emergency fund to pay for those bills, and then maybe to replenish your emergency fund after that's taken care of, maybe you have to temporarily pause all these other different buckets of money that you are saving for, build back up your emergency fund, and then continue all these different buckets of savings. Because first and foremost, before all these other savings and big purchases can happen, I think, and I think our recommendation would be, make sure your emergency fund is intact. And if you have to use it, as soon as you use it, do everything you can to build that emergency fund back up. And I think it should always be set aside in its own account. So maybe you have a normal checking account that you operate out of each month. You have maybe a savings account that you keep a little bit of money in, but then you should always have, you know, either a savings account or a second savings account that is just strictly your emergency fund that you're, that's sitting there that, you know, you have, you know, three to six to 12 months of living expenses in there 
that shouldn't emergency emergency happen, you can pull from there without having to, you know, freak out because your checking's running a little bit low. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think the last thing, I mean, just to recap a little bit here. So, you know, when you're saving for big purchases, if you're looking at that one to two year goal, uh, just based on risk and that it's really hard to, to know what the stock market is going to do in a one year period, cash really makes the most sense for there. Um, for kind of that two to five year period, you know, based on your risk tolerance, maybe you start to add in some bonds inside of there that, you know, you're not making the killing, but maybe you're able to squeak out two, three, four percent and some yields there just to help out a little bit and help to beat inflation. And then as you start to get to that kind of that five plus year mark of that goal being that far out, it probably makes a little sense to start adding some stocks in there. Um, and maybe it's a combo of all three just to manage risk, but that's typically when we're playing with clients. You know, we look at, we take into account the time frame of the purchase along with um, the risk tolerance of the client as well. Yep, I would agree. And I think it goes without saying that all of these conversations and risk tolerance and investment time horizon, it's all worth having a conversation around because we can't just make a blanket statement. Um, everybody's situation's a little everybody's bit different. Everybody's so different. Everyone's risk tolerance is so different. So as we talk about these recommendations, if you're a client of ours, we're more than happy to talk through all of these different conversations with you and decide what the correct risk tolerance would be since everyone's, everyone's different. Um, but that's a general principle. Extremely short-term, cash in the bank, you start to get out on the longer time horizons. You can incorporate more stocks and bonds only because the stocks are proven to have great returns over the long term and extremely long term. Uh, they're definitely proven to have um, stronger investment returns. But on the short term, that's where it gets a little little hairy and worthy of conversation to decide what the appropriate risk tolerance is. Yeah. I mean, and we're always happy to, like Carson said, have, have a meeting if you're a client of ours or hop on the phone and talk through things. So, um, you know, we, we thank you for joining us today and we look forward to you being with us again in the future. Yep. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Retire While You Work podcast. I'm Miles Zuger, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we discuss creative ways to manage your time and money. Any opinions are those of myself and not necessarily those of Raymond James. Expressions of opinion are as of this date and are subject to change without notice. The information contained in these podcasts do not purport to be a complete description of the securities market or developments referred to in this material. The information has been obtained from sources considered to be reliable, but we do not guarantee that the foregoing material is accurate or complete. Every investor situation is unique and you should consider your investment goals, risk tolerance, and time horizon before making any investment. Prior to making an investment decision, please consult with your financial advisor about your individual situation. Any hypothetical examples are for illustration purposes only. Actual investor results will vary. Raymond James does not provide legal or tax services. Please discuss these matters with the appropriate professional.